You're listening to Making a Living Show. I'm Roby Levy. Hi, I'm Mark Beltzman, and I make triple X for a living. You might know Mark Beltzman from movies like Billy Madison, Home Alone, and The Wedding Singer, or from shows like According to Jim, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Seinfeld. But for me, he'll forever be the man who repeatedly told me to fuck off on my own show. For over 40 years, he's been acting, writing, directing, and playing tuba all over the world. Here's my chat with Mark Beltzman. Who are you and what do you make for a living? No. You won't answer. That's it? The interview's over. <laughs> uh, I'm Mark Beltzman. Um, I'm an actor, director, writer, teacher, producer, musician. I think that covers most of it. So how did you get started and what started first? Because I know you're an accomplished musician. Was that something you were doing as an er- at an early age? Yeah, I suppose that came first. I started playing when I was a kid. I played uh, tuba. Um, I had an older brother who went through three instruments and it was my turn. And my parents said, we're not going through that again. And Mr. Bukin, the music teacher at Dow Elementary School said, well, there's a sousaphone in the back. And so that's how I ended up playing sousaphone and tuba. And uh, then I just played all through uh, elementary school, junior high school. I went to a college prep high school called Cass Technical High School in Detroit, where you had to have a major and a minor. And I majored music and uh, played tuba through high school. And then I played in three symphonies uh, after high school around the Detroit area. And then uh, my best friend from high school, Rob Teachman, his parents had some friends who were photographers. And one of them, Charlie Shritty, asked if he could borrow my tuba for a Lazy Boy chair ad. And I said, sure. And he said, you want to be in it? And that's how I started out uh, modeling. And then uh, there was another friend of the same family, the Teachman family named Amin Arana. And uh, he's another photographer who gave me my first TV commercial. Uh, it was all still, still photos of. Uh, it was I was Tony Baker, the high low driver, who drove his forklift into 400 refrigerators, and they were having a damaged goods sales at the at Highland Appliance. Um, yeah, and so that's kind of how I fell into acting, and then I, I just I kept doing more and more of it, and. Uh, before I realized that I could play a doctor on TV instead of actually going to school. <laughs> and so how did things develop then from there? Like, you, you did you have any training at all at that point? I mean, uh, beyond tuba playing in terms of performance, in terms of acting? But how did you kind of get further into it? I read Del Close's name in the Detroit Times. I mean, the, uh, the Detroit, uh, Detroit News. And uh, I cleaned out my bank account and took his workshop, and I ended up getting hired in the Detroit Times Theater Company, which is where I met my wife, Beverly Lubin, and uh, started doing a lot of sketch comedy. It was run by Jonathan Round, who had been to Chicago and moved back to Detroit. Um, So it was all Second City-style sketch improvisation, and um, that was 1982, and I haven't done anything else since then. That's it. You stopped working in 82 and that was it. Pretty much. Yeah. Everything was but act, teach, write, direct, play music since 1982. Well, now Del Close, he's credited with, this is, this is the, the developer of the Herald. 
Is is that correct? Like he he the, the long form improv style. Sort of, you're on the right track. I mean, it was with the committee. Dell was the director of the committee uh, in San Francisco in the late '60s, and they, as a group, developed the Herald. And certainly, it was Dell's uh, masterpiece, or his, uh, you know, pushing the idea of uh, playing ensemble, group dynamic, uh, creating a play on your feet in front of the audience based on audience suggestion. And was that sort of a thing that, that drew you to working with him? Well, Dell was the guru of improvisation. He was uh, the acting coach for the Not Ready for Primetime Players, which was the original Saturday Night Live cast. And anybody who's anybody, I mean, he basically shaped comedy as we know it today. He influenced all the greatest comedians of our time. Um, you know, John Belushi, John Candy, Bill Murray, Gerald Ramos. I mean... The list goes on and on and on. Any of those people were all taught, shaped, directed uh, by Gal. And um, when I got to Chicago in 1985, um, Dell was teaching workshops. And out of those workshops became the birth of what we now know as I.O., or back then it was called Improv Olympic. And so that was born out of Improv Olympic, and I was in... Baron's Barracudas, which was the very first improv group in Improv Olympics. So we were the founding members of what became, as we know now today, Improv Olympic, which closed since the pandemic. Uh, so it's come full circle. And Second City's up for sale. So Quite a time. Yeah. Crazy times. So what was it like back then and, uh, you know, with the, the Barracudas? Oh, yeah. Those are some of the greatest years. That's like, you know, going to comedy and clown comedy. <laughs> you're, you're, you're learning on your feet in front of an audience. It was, you know, improvisation is the greatest drug on earth. And, uh, we were doing something seven days a week on our own or uh, with each other or with Gal, Second City. Uh, we were all over town. Everybody was flocking to see what we were doing down there with Dell because it was so groundbreaking uh, at the time. And there was also, uh, at the same time, there was a birth of a huge um, theater boom in Chicago in the mid to late 80s. And that was just a really exciting time uh, to be living in Chicago if you're an actor. Once you got into doing improv, you were in IO or what became IO, and you also spent some time in Second City as well. Were you doing any um, any serious or straight-ahead theater at that time yourself? Or was it primarily, did Comedy Bug kind of grab you and, and that's, what you, that's what you stuck with, that's what you went with? It's interesting. Most people would differentiate. I don't. It's all acting to me. And I was doing everything back then. I was doing a lot of improv. I was in improv groups. I was, while I was with Second City, I uh, did... Uh, production of uh, Bleacher Bums, directed by Joe Mantegna, the uh, organic theater. I mean, there was a time I was doing both at the same time. I was Friday, I'd have a 7 o'clock Bleacher Bums show, a 9 o'clock Bleacher Bums show, and then I have a cab waiting for me at 11 o'clock to whisk me back to Second City for the 11 o'clock show at Second City. On Sundays, this went on for probably about four or five months. I, on Sundays, I had a three o'clock matinee, a five o'clock 
uh, show with bleacher bums, and I'd get in a cab and go over to Second City and do the nine o'clock show, and then the improv set at midnight. So Did you I was ever sleep on stage? Uh, who cared? No, <laughs> we were out all night doing fucking drugs, getting crazy. <laughs> that was in, it was the eighties. Don't forget, it was insane. So there were good drugs. Well, is there any other kind? <laughs> well, there can be some pretty weak weed. You're going to the wrong places. <laughs> With all of this that you were doing, were you ever running a deficit? I mean, I know, like you said, you were you were running and having tons of fun and you were having a blast doing it. But where were you drawing energy from? I mean, literally, where were you getting ideas from? That is energy. Work begets work. The more you work, the more you work. The more exciting it is. The more adrenaline-filled it is. It's what we dream of, having those days where you just work from the moment you open your eyes to the moment you go to sleep doing things that you love. That's what this podcast is all about. That's what life is about. Look, there's only two really important things in life. It's going to bed content with what you accomplished that day and waking up the next day excited about what you're going to do. And it doesn't matter whether you're homeless or you have billions of dollars. That's all there is. And so that's been a model of mine to fill the day with things that I feel content with that I accomplish and then make sure I set myself up to win by having something the next day uh, to get up and excited to jump into. What do you do in a circumstance where you maybe didn't set yourself up, where your day didn't turn out in a way that, uh, that you can say that you were content? Does that add to your motivation to your, what you're going to do the next day? Do you wind up up all night kind of pissed off about the fact that you, you kind of blew an opportunity? Damn, you are so negative. How do you sleep? <laughs> I don't sleep. Do I got any, a three-year-old. Do you have any gratitude at all? <laughs> ask me something I'm grateful for. What the fuck? I will ask you something you're grateful for. What are you uh, grateful for? No, <laughs> I uh, no, I don't. I don't have any regrets. I don't have any. I still, to this day, you know, sort of live that way. I, you know, get get bombarded by projects. Uh, Irons in the fire, being creative on so many different areas of my life. And uh, a month will go by before I have a day off or a breath. And then, you know, nothing will be happening for a couple months straight. So there's a lot of peaks and valleys. And you learn to pace yourself and uh, live your life. I'm really good at both. I'm really good at being really busy and being creative and getting shit done and feeling good about accomplishing it. And I'm really fucking good at just sitting around and watching TV and <laughs> getting stoned and, you know, watching movies. I love watching movies and I love making movies. So if I'm doing either of those things, it's a great day. Well, do you find it hard to, sh- to shift gears? Because I know I do at times when I'm, I'm going from grocery shopping to changing diapers to, you know, doing laundry. And then I got I to gotta sit down and I got to write something or I got to... No. No, I don't, I don't, I've, I've created my life in such a way, I don't, I don't have the same responsibilities you do. I don't, I don't have kids, I don't have pets. I have a wife of 38, going on 39 years, and, you know, we have a great relationship and a lot of freedom, be able to do what we want, go where we want, not have any uh, stipulations or, other than our own responsibilities and bills, uh, we, we sort of like it that way. I don't know. It's just, it's just sort of worked out that way. It wasn't really planned. 
Does she work as well in entertainment and comedy? She, she, she's writing now. She was a therapist uh, for many years, psychotherapist. Um, but she's pretty much retired now. She does a little writing. She'll take my sketch class. You know, I teach a lot of stuff online because of COVID, which I'm sure we'll get to. And um, no, she's just uh, happy living in Maui, enjoying life. And you guys made the move to Maui when? How many years ago now? I guess, is it six, seven? It's only been one full time. I, uh, I, I co-founded Maui Improv in 2014. So I've been coming back and forth teaching and performing for years uh, whenever I want. And then, you know, we've been getting kind of complacent in L.A. anyways because the acting industry, movie business, whatever you want to call it, has just changed so dramatically. It's not nearly as much fun as it used to be. Everything's uh, ultra-low budget or buyouts for commercial. So it's harder and harder to, you know, make minimums for insurance or rub two sticks together. And if I'm going to work, you know, three or four union jobs a year, I can do that from here. I don't need to be in LA. Right. And then we had no idea about the pandemic. So our timing was impeccable and that was the best move we ever made. We got here in October 20th, uh, 2019. Had just enough time to set up a beautiful home. And my wife had plenty of time to nest and, decorate it and then and then i was crushing it here in maui i was cast as big daddy and cat on a hot tin roof at the biggest theater on the island we were in rehearsals for that i was hired to direct the play at the other huge theater on the island we were just about to have auditions and i was playing in the maui community band and running uh, maui improv as the artistic director and teaching classes and then everything came to a screeching halt so we're just all in a new normal. We're all reinventing ourselves and, you know, figuring out solutions and piecing the puzzle together any way we can to survive. Well, coming at things from a, from a positive perspective, since you've challenged me on this before. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck that. What, what's been... What Fuck have you, you been... and your positivity. <laughs> oh, I can't win. What have you been doing that uh, that's been working out? In other words, like you know, you, in in addition to obviously your timing being impeccable and getting out there and and setting all these things up, mm -hmm. what kind of things have you pivoted and actually been able to make work um, since COVID or since yeah? Here? Well, I think I think since COVID because you you I mean you said things were going really really well up until COVID since hit. COVID, and now it's tough. Well, I've actually never been busier than since COVID hit. I said, I have all these irons in the fire. I'm, I'm in talks on a couple different films. We'll see if they happen. Are these films you've written? Uh, no, no. I've just been contacted by writers or producers. Um, and um, still teaching classes. I teach a writing class on Zoom. I teach an improv drop-in class on Zoom. Sorry, were these things you were doing on Zoom before COVID, or are these are things that you've been doing... Yeah. No. Just since COVID. Right. No, but they were all in person before. I was teaching a lot of in-person classes. And, what was I saying? Uh, Zoom. And then I'm also uh, putting together a reading for a, a play that takes place on Zoom. It's a, it's a murder mystery and um, working on that. And uh, a lot of music stuff. I just recorded two different shows 
at the Pro Arts Theater here uh, on Maui as an effort to support them. And we're trying to keep their doors open and raise some money. Is this as Two Bazaar? Two Bazaar is one of the shows. I did an improv show and I did Two Bazaar. Um, Two Bazaar is my musical comedy review. And uh, I invite other artists to play their music. They just have to write me a tuba part to play along with them. <laughs> so I get some very talented friends and a lot of celebrities and people to come play my show. And they just have to write me a tuba part. And it's, it's really a lot of fun. Is that, do most people just give you the bass line to play? Is that the gist? Like, is that where, is that where no, a tuba resides? A, everybody does it differently. So... Uh, I always play a couple songs by myself because people don't realize the tuba can actually play a melody. And uh, some people write chords, some people write note charts, some people write a bass line, some people write melodies, some people write harmonies. It's Everybody does it differently. So that's another great thing about my show. Is I, it's a one-man operation. I produce it. I host it. I uh, get all the compositions together and the charts together and I showcase other people. Some people can read music, some people can't. Some people can write music, some people can't. Some people end up humming a note into an app on a phone so we can figure out what the <laughs> hell I'm supposed to be playing. Everybody's different. And so I've just lear learned to work with whatever strengths and weaknesses people have to get it done. Is there anybody that you really loved playing with that, that, that really wrote you something challenging or really interesting that you just... You thought, oh, man, oh, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. So, man, I mean, the great Harry Dean Stanton had done my show. Uh, Lawrence Juber, who's Paul McCartney's guitarist in the Wings, has done my show a bunch of times. Uh, Marcy Levy, who wrote Lay Down Sally for Eric Clapton, uh, she's done my show a bunch of times. Tony Bronagle, who's a drummer and a brilliant uh, record producer. The Blues Brothers and Bonnie Raitt and uh, Eric Burden, he's done my shows a bunch of times. Emo Phillips has done my show a bunch of times. Um, so I just get a really cool, eclectic, fun group of, of friends and people. Do you ever teach them tuba? No, very often. Nobody wants to learn tuba. <laughs> it's just too heavy. It's a big instrument. It's not that heavy. I do have a 108-year-old tuba I have store. It's 108 years old, this tuba? Yeah. Yeah. That's serious. Oh, is it behind you? Oh, right on. Yeah. There Amazing! Hey, there it is. So, wait, is most of the stuff you're doing that you're that you're piloting, whether it's you know Maui Improv or whether it's Two Bazaar, what you know, any of these? Are, do you have folks that are you're working with, or are you generally are you the engine for most of these projects? Are you doing most of the stuff yourself? Yeah, I'm the engine for most of it. And then, do you get help for some of the stuff that maybe a little less? creative a little less uh, on the on the performance side or the glamorous side of things what do you mean i don't know maybe with help with the money or the marketing or things along those lines do you work with somebody like a partner or producer well no it's a, i mean most of my stuff's just a one-man operation like but when i recorded stuff at the theater of course they provided a three camera operators and sound people and you know stuff like that but as far as me generating work no it's it's, it's just me you're online. You're, you're, you've got all the social media platforms and things like that. Do you find those things helpful or are they a pain in the ass? They sort of just replace business cards. You know, does your business card work for you? Yeah. Yeah, but you, you hand out, you know, 500 of them and three people call you. I mean, it's sort of like that where it's great to be able to invite a few hundred people to a show by just, you know, clicking a button or, or 
putting it on Instagram, which goes on Facebook and on Twitter, but a lot of likes, you know, a lot of people comment, making smart ass comments, but as far as people actually showing up, uh, at the beginning, they, they always seem to like, you know, charge when you start something new and they want to say they were there and participate and then they want to criticize it and leave one way or another. It's either, you know, I don't want to be on Zoom or you're too harsh or I didn't like the way you did that or said that. And uh, people, I find one of my mottos of everything that I do let alone everything I teach, is life happens outside of your comfort zone. So if you're out of your comfort zone, you're feeling uncomfortable, that's where growth takes place. And if you're way out of your comfort zone, you're still smiling, that's where huge growth takes place. Mm. Most people don't like being pushed out of their comfort zone. And when you do, they either attack me, attack the messenger, or they leave, quit, run away. But they don't want to deal with their own issues. They don't want to look inside. They don't want to take, figure out what's triggering them. They don't want to figure out what the real truth of digging deeper and finding uh, the bigger the breakdown, the bigger the breakthrough. So they're not willing to go there. So, you know, and they didn't ask to. To be fair, they didn't ask, right? If they're choosing to get out of their comfort zone, it's much easier than if you have to. And so I think improv and acting... Most all the creative arts is designed to make you feel uncomfortable. That's what I love about it. I love living outside of my comfort zone. That's why I'm here. You know, I got complacent there. So um, in 2012, I was doing a musical uh, called Reanimator the Musical with George Wynn. We did it on and off for about three and a half years. And then we all got invited to go to the Fringe Festival in Scotland. My wife and I were in our same apartment in L.A. for 21 years, so we decided to sell everything we owned. We sold our cars, our clothes, our furniture, put some stuff in a friend's garage, and she met me in Scotland at the end of the run. And then we just sort of improvised our lives for about 14 months. We stayed in Scotland for a couple months, went to Amsterdam. I ended up running a house in, uh, in Blackheath, right near Greenwich in London, and I taught improv and acting all over England for five or six months and then back to New York for a few months, taught and performed there. And then I taught my way all across the United States back to LA where we lived in that apartment for six years before I moved here last year. But it's really important to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. So as somebody who lives this lifestyle, I don't want to be able to say I'm actually doing it. I'm walking the walk. I'm living outside of my comfort zone. I'm improvising my life as often as possible. I don't know where things are happening or coming from. I have routines and stuff that I love to do, but I don't get like getting complacent. And so that really serves me in stuff like a pandemic where I've been training for this my whole life. Just at first it was devastating. And then you realize it doesn't change a thing for me. I'm always looking for some kind of creative outlet and creating my own outlets to be creative in. So I just continue doing that. And it's been great. When you uproot your life like you did, is there something you kind of keep finding or that keeps on spurring you on some, some sort of recurring theme? I mean, you said you, you want to keep improvising your life. You want to live outside of your comfort zone. What does that kind of look like? It's an internal thing, really. I mean, more than anything else, it's internal. I mean, 
if anything keeps recurring or driving me, it's probably law of attraction. I don't know if you're familiar with that. There's Abraham Hicks is a great resource for me. Uh, there's a book called Ask, and it is given. Asking it is given. And it's all about law of attraction and that you are creative source energy and you create every moment of your day whether you know it or not. So the messages you're putting out to the universe, the universe is instantly sending whatever you request towards you. But you got to be careful of your words and your thoughts. Um, like, for instance, most people can relate to they want more money. So you put that out. The universe declared the universe to, to make more money. And the universe is already sending it to you. And then you go to the grocery store. You're like, well, I have to buy the no-name brand because I can't afford the name brand. What are you doing? You're putting out, I can't afford it. And you get on your computer and you're like, man, I'd love to go to a vacation. I can't afford a vacation. Certainly can't afford to go to Europe. What's going on? You're putting out a message that you can't afford it. So twice you put out messages that you can't afford it. And once you put out a message that you want more money. So which is going to win? And that's how the law of attraction works. So you've got to manifest something. And then the missing part of the equation is you need to get in action and do something about it. You can't just request something and sit on the couch. You've got to request something and then get in action and figure out a game plan, mm -hmm. move forward, make the phone call, send the email, send the text, enroll other people in your vision, and then start to put the, the pieces of the puzzle together. For me, I always need a deadline. Like if I'm going to do Too Bizarre, if I'm going to do a show, I need to have the theater booked because I know I have that date in four weeks and i got to have a complete show so it gives me something to shoot for if i just go i'm going to do another show next month it's sort of like yeah i'll get to it later I'll get to it tomorrow um and i also you know belong to men's team um two different men's one in la because it's uh, virtual i rejoined the men's team there and i have a men's team uh, here in maui through the mankind project and it's just it's a team of men to hold you accountable and you get to hold other men accountable and you declare what you want and other men hold you accountable, whether it's to lose weight, to treat your wife better, to, you know, buy better clothes, to make more money. doesn't matter what it is. And I, as a man, function much better when I'm being held accountable by others. So that's another tool that I like to use that works good for me. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people would say that being held accountable—that's why they get, uh, you know, they get a, they get a trainer at the gym because just knowing that they're that they're there's someone there waiting for them. That if they don't show up, they've kind of wasted someone else's time, and that kind of helps them. That's right. What do you think stops people from trying to go after these things that they want? You said that if you don't if you don't manifest some things that you do want, and or for that matter, if you spend your time manifesting something you don't want, you're kind of offsetting the balance, and the, and, and you're not taking the action. What do you think stops people from doing this stuff for themselves? Your belief system. Yeah. Yeah, you're. it's a societal epidemic to fight for our limitations instead of remove them by imagining what's possible. How do you think people can get past that? I mean, I mean, you read the, you read this book. You said this book was a good starting point for you? Oh, it changed my life. I love that. It's books like a Bible to me. I've been to a bunch of seminars, lots of great stuff. Um, Landmark Education is another great resource to change your life get off your ass. The Forum is a brilliant weekend seminar. 
it's um uh, here here's a it's a societal epidemic that we what if to the negative right so you're driving down the street and the car cuts you off so what if that motherfucker hit me well he did well what if he could have killed me he would have damaged my car my insurance have gone up get my kids sitting in the back seat he could have broken neck and it's like well no maybe that guy's kids in the hospital and just didn't see you maybe he maybe he didn't see you maybe he's in a hurry and got something else going on but the point is we don't know what's going to happen in five seconds let alone five minutes five years or 50 years so why not what if to the positive why not what if this is the greatest thing that's going to happen instead of what ifing to the negative and so it's a societal epidemic to immediately go what if we all die from this virus instead of what if this virus is one of the greatest gifts that we'll ever receive? There's been many gifts from it already. I mean, I've gotten to spend a historical period of time on an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean with no tourists for seven months. <laughs> Nobody on earth has ever experienced that. It's been amazing. Everything's rejuvenating. There's all kinds of marine life that comes closer to the beach. There's... I swim with sea turtles every fucking day. You know, it's like there's so many great gifts to all of this that will probably not change. We're probably going to have to do more auditioning uh, online. Uh, I've even shot, I shot a pilot during quarantine lockdown uh, where we all shot from home, but it looks like it's one location. It's called The Singletons by... Uh, Hilary Scarl, who's a great director, invited me to be part of this project. So there's a lot of great gifts in all this, and we what if to the negative immediately instead of what if to the positive. You know, figure out what's working and do more of it instead of trying to change and fix what's wrong. How do we know the difference? One makes you smile and one doesn't. We're all born with an internal mechanism that tells us. So figure out what makes you smile and do more of it Instead of trying to change and fix what's wrong, changing and fixing shit so our future's better just doesn't work. <laughs> so you want to just do more of what makes you smile and everything else will either go away or fix itself. Guaranteed. I mean, are you known to be a positive person? Is that how someone would describe you? Because you've got this incredibly positive outlook you. on things. <laughs> Fuck you. Don't fucking call me positive, douchebag. Um... Yeah, no, I mean, I've always had some kind of sixth sense or drive uh, since I was a kid of getting what I want, um, you know, very um, goal-oriented. On the other hand, you know, I always wanted to be an A-list actor on A-list pictures and make A-list paychecks with A-list directors, and, you know, I didn't get that far yet. Well, I mean, you've been damn close. You've been in some incredible stuff. I've been very fortunate. It's great. I'm not planning by any means whatsoever. There's always more. There's always something more to strive for. But thank you. I'm just trying to figure out at what point I get to tell you to fuck off, but I'm sure it's not. Not, not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. That's when the. I'll run, I'll run fuck off circles around you. <laughs> I think I'm swimming in the deep end. And... I'll go for it. Come on. Take a risk. <laughs> well, I've got nothing to say fuck off about. You're hell. You're being. You're being very positive. Isn't that that doesn't merit a fuck off? Fuck off. <laughs> there it is. What about 
for somebody who's interested in getting into acting, getting into writing, you do a lot of teaching, you must come across a lot of uh, newbies to the game or people that are trying to take it from a hobby to something a little bit more. What kind of advice do you give them when they're setting out? It's just the old uh, joke of how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. That's all there is, you know? It's, um, I, I like to use this metaphor of it's going, it's like going to the gym, right? You buy a gym membership and you have a goal of bench pressing 200 pounds. But you can't go in the very first day and bench press 200 pounds. You start with two pound weights and go to five pound weights and 10 and graduate up. It could take you two weeks, two months, or two years to get to your goal of bench pressing 200 pounds, but you're working out, working up to it, and acting, writing, improvising is all a muscle. That's all it is. And you got to exercise it. Like my, uh, my, the great late Michael McCarthy, a good friend of mine, who was an SNL writer, wrote for, um, well, I met him at Second City, but uh, his grandfather used to say, your liver's a muscle and you've got to exercise it. And that's all writing and improvising and acting is all a muscle. So you got to go to the gym and work out in scene study classes with other people in ensembles and improv communities, music. You want to pick up your instrument to this day. I've played, I've played tube over 40 years. And what do you think I do? First time I pick up that instrument every day to this very day. You play scales. You just, so you got to learn your scales and, and people in the acting improv, especially improv and acting community for some reason think you know once you've learned a b-flat scale you're done you don't ever have to play it again and you want to move on to beethoven's fifth symphony it's like it just doesn't work that way you got to practice your craft practice your skill practice your instrument keep it finely tuned keep it clean and you train like an olympic athlete hours and hours every day every week every month for that few seconds in front of the camera where they say, action, you're on. As somebody who spends a lot of time imparting wisdom and teaching, what do you do to keep your acting muscles in good shape and developing? I do drugs and alcohol. <laughs> uh, you always, well, like, I mean, let's take Too Bizarre, for instance. I have gotten in the habit of doing this show for over a decade and I surround myself with people who are 10 times better than I am and try and keep up with them. Um, I'd never be caught dead on the same stage with Lawrence Juber, who's Paul McCartney's guitarist, and he's just, he's a monster, and he can kick my ass any day of the week. But, uh, you know, he writes me a piece of music, and trying to keep up with him is just a thrill. You know, Marcy Levy, same thing. Playing with these people is a thrill. I try and surround myself by those same level of people on stage improvising or acting um but certainly teaching you know is a great uh tool as an actor especially if you have that mentality of walking the walk and not just talking the talk there's a lot of angry bitter teachers who aren't working who are just teaching to make money and bitching to other students about how they're not working or telling war stories about their past or their career and um I, uh, you know, I always, I say this at the end of every class I ever teach, 
what you don't understand is you're the teachers and I'm the student because I learn more from my students than they ever learn from me. It just goes with the territory. So teaching is as much of a performance as anybody else. And I constantly get to remind myself what I should be doing, you know, talk to each other about each other, explore and heighten the moment, the relationship between two people, make those discoveries come together, and, you know, all the things that I teach. And uh, it's a constant reminder. So I'm constantly teaching myself of uh, how to stay on track. And, you know, at my level of experience, I make the same mistakes every novice makes. The only difference is I recognize it and get off of the mistake and correct it before anybody even realizes that I made it. Um, and so that just comes with knowledge and experience. If you learn something from a student, do you give them a discount? No, they have to pay more, actually. <laughs> it's $5 for everything I learned from you. So if you have teach me something, you're going to end up paying a lot of money for this class. <laughs> just the way it works. I don't like Robin Collins, by the way. Nor should you. No one really does. It's just he no. seems to get dirt on all of us, and then he yeah. makes us do podcasts and things. So fuck him and fuck you again. <laughs> and on that note, where can people find a little bit more about you? MarkBeltsman.com. Yeah, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Well, thank you, Mark, so much for being on the show and sharing with us how you make a living. Cool, Roby. Great talking to you. Aloha. Subscribe to Making a Living Show on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts. For more on the show, visit makingalivingshow.com and follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Making a Living Show is produced by Next Exit Media and hosted by me, Roby Levy. Thanks for listening.